0: welcome to bjj mental models episode 47 i'm steve kwan i'm matt kwan bjj mental models is your guide to a conceptual and intelligent jiu-jitsu approach and today we're going to talk about systems no no
1: in my notes here it says systema ah got it the greatest martial art of all time Yeah. yeah actually helio also knew systema did he
0: Uh, well my understanding is that helio knew basically everything i mean the the story that i have been told is that like everyone in that family was a super genius who you know were also all badasses at martial arts they're they're basically like the ultimate family
1: yeah when when, when i see clips of helio showing his gracie self-defense i wonder uh when's he going to show the techniques that work (laughs) (laughs) well to be fair all of those techniques work
0: if your son is the training partner and he wants to make you look good yeah yeah we're gonna catch
1: flack for that i don't care fuck you okay here we go I, I love that
0: image of um uh of hicks and gracie doing self-defense with henner gracie holding like a plastic gun to yeah, his head that, is, that
1: is one of my favorite jujitsu images uh, and no don't get triggered we're not disrespecting helio just making jokes just making jokes
0: back to Systema. okay so a whole episode on Systema.
1: yeah we're <laughs> actually no Systems. Got it. And we're just basically just describing today. We're going to be talking about um, you know, if you're somebody who's new to jujitsu and obviously there's infinite material that you can apply to your game. It's a it's a lifelong journey and it really can't be exhausted. But maybe as a beginner or even as someone who's uh highly ranked, but you're looking to create some structure for your game, how can you file it and order it in such a way in your mind that it is easy to remember it's easy to take information in it's also easy to transition seamlessly and how can you sort of manage those thoughts into one concept and the way that i look at things now is much like the john danaher approach which is to have systems so but for, how would john danaher describe this approach well let's understand something Stephen. I don't know. The paint system is the... uh, So uh,
0: the way that I think of this stuff, there is a term called systems thinking. And basically this describes coming up with an underlying framework that you can hang all of your ideas off of so rather than just having dozens and dozens of ideas floating Mm. around in your head you tie these together mentally into a construct so that you can sort of see patterns between new ideas and when something new comes in you can compare it to these systems that you already understand and it gives you a point of reference as to how all of these ideas fit together Mm. we've talked before about Mm. how one of the challenges that new practitioners of the art have is there's just so much stuff to learn and if you come in with a technique driven approach where every day you go yeah. to class and there's a new technique and in your head you're trying to record hundreds yeah. and hundreds of these things it's just not going to work it's like a memorization exactly it's type a, c- approach yeah whereas if you try to understand <laughs> Good job, Matt. (laughs) Sorry. Yeah, I covered my my arm. (laughs) If you try to understand the big ideas, then it is easier for that stuff to stick around in your head. Uh, A good example that I like to give is, you know, if you think back to when you were in high school, or for some of you who are in high school, if you think of yesterday (laughs) you know when you go to cram for a test you try to shove as much information into your head and then basically you try to regurgitate it onto paper and then the next day you've probably forgotten all or most of it. I mean I'm 37 years old now I can barely remember a single thing that I learned in high school because this approach of cramming and then regurgitating doesn't work it's not good for your long-term memory because your brain doesn't know how to prioritize or organize things Mm -hmm. or turn them into useful information whereas what is much more valuable is systems thinking where you understand the big concepts and then whenever you see a specific little thing you have to understand you can think of oh okay that's how this fits in and you just kind of hang that onto the framework i mean the probably the most obvious example for our listeners that we can talk about is the alignment system that rob Bernanke and, and your team have kind of conceptualized where basically we
1: say that when it well works- let's be honest i stole it from rob Bernanke. <laughs> <laughs> and now I spend every waking minute pushing Rob Bernacki's alignment for theory. no uh, for <laughs> no financial benefit
0: to yourself. Yeah. You're basically like a, a member of a cult at this point, a
1: yeah. a taint cult. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, but, you don't want to even know what the hazing is like. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. Oh, no, I, <laughs> I think I know. I think actually, there's instructional[s] on that hazing on the internet. <laughs> so what we're talking about for those who somehow are oblivious to this after listening to this podcast for almost 50 episodes, we're talking about um, the alignment framework which basically says that all of the mechanics of jiu jitsu can be described in three pieces there's posture there's structure and there's base posture means like how is your spine being effectively utilized structure means what about your limbs and base means can you absorb and generate force relative to your goals so basically these are the three things that you need to worry about and anything that you do in jujitsu you can tie back to that system you know you can pick any move or sweep or submission and you should be able to understand given alignment how can i make this effective um or is this effective in the first place how can
1: i create vulnerability yeah
0: how can i create vulnerability while preventing vulnerability on myself that's basically what you're trying to understand so there's kind of two sides to the coin you know you want to you want to keep your alignment and you want to break your opponent's alignment so that's an example of a system and the feedback that we've received from many people including a lot of you is that this is a very helpful way to understand a very complex art but this is only one example of a system there's a lot of other types of systems out there For example, I mean, this whole podcast, in a lot of ways, when we talk about mental models, we're talking about systems. Uh, Mental models are a form of system thinking. When you come up with a mental model, basically what you're doing is you're saying, there's a lot of information out there that kind of tells me that there's a pattern in terms of how the world works. And if I can understand that pattern, then it makes Mm -hmm. it easier to identify it in the future and know in the moment what the right thing to do probably is going to be so that's basically like what a mental model is so in this case though there's a lot of other systems and they you know almost every high-level grappling camp has come up with some degree of their own matt knows a lot more about these than i do so the plan in this episode I really <laughs> don't. so the plan in this episode is we're going to talk um, about maybe some of the more significant systems that you're going to hear about but also systems thinking in general how this works and how you should go about building a system of your own to help Mm. you understand the art
1: yeah and and to your point steve about um memorizational approach versus system approach a very good example in the real world would be public speech so for example if i have to give a speech and i'm trying to memorize my lines you know you could miss a line and then all of a sudden in your head you lose your landmark as to where you are in your speech and you start to flutter and then you know just like in jujitsu you get into a bad position all of a sudden things start falling apart very quickly whereas if you have the concepts or the main head headings memorized and then you can elaborate greatly on those headings because you're aware of the material you can kind of freestyle it as you go and keep a good rhythm going while you talk. So that's kind of, that's kind of what you want to do in jujitsu is to be able to express yourself in the moment regardless of the variables and as exactly. long as as long as you have the concepts in place um you know the, the the alignment concepts and all and all the concepts that are specific to each system that uh that make them successful you should be able to transition from system to system and also be you know know how to get in and get out of each system so you know you know you, you could easily take this uh John Danaher's instructionals very very awesome information in those instructionals obviously some of the uh best grapplers in the world certainly the best nogi grapplers in the world come from his school and uh you know as as long as you got a lot of a lot of coffee to drink you'll, you'll be able to listen learn a lot from those instructionals yeah. <laughs> because it tends to be a little bit monotone but um what he emphasizes is the importance in jiu-jitsu of being able to transition from system to system and basically yeah. Once you start doing jiu jitsu, you start to realize that all these moves start to overlap. For example, the Kimura, Oma, Plata, and Triangle, uh, and Armbar are all available usually from same positions right but
0: the systems that make them effective might vary and this is a mistake that a lot of people make is they are clinging to the wrong system at the wrong time and you have to understand which system is going to be most applicable at any given moment yeah now something to understand too is that systems can exist at different levels right there are some systems that purport to describe everything like alignment for example is a system that will describe almost all of the mechanics of jiu-jitsu. Uh, some systems, though, are much more micro. Like, for example, the Kimura Trap is a system that will specifically describe how to use shoulder rotation to manipulate your opponent. I mean, it's it falls under alignment, but it is a very, very granular specific system. So some systems apply at different levels, right? Some are more general and some are more specific. Like going out into the, you know, into the, re- into the real world, like the theory of relativity, for example, describes Almost everything, but there are also very, very specific things that only describe one particular thing. Like gravity, for example, is a specific instance of relativity. So it's important to understand that sometimes you're going to have multiple systems because some systems have a very specific purpose. And a mistake that you don't want to make is applying the wrong system at the wrong time. Mm. Like if you're in a situation where you're trying to use the Kimura trap and it fails, and then you start trying to transition to an arm bar or something you're no longer still in the Kimura trap system you now need to move to a system that is more appropriate for arm bars and the principles might be different at that point so one of the the mistakes that you can make is clinging to the wrong system at the wrong time
1: yeah so for example great the Kimura trap is one of my favorite examples when i'm talking about systems um you know used at all levels of jiu-jitsu the highest level the kimura trap is uh as you mentioned steve rotation of the shoulder but specifically internal rotation of the shoulder and it's a two-on-one of a single lever uh It's important to understand that when you use the Kimura trap and and pretty much any system for that example, that there is what I refer to as critical control points. So what this is, is basically what ingredients, what concepts make the Kimura efficient? How can I use those concepts to maintain my Kimura control and use it to whether I'm trying to get to the back, whether I'm trying to pass the guard, whether I'm trying to actually finish the Kimura submission itself, what are some of the you know, the 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 ins and outs of the Kimura that allow me to maintain control. And the main one is creating a two-on-one on on the arm, usually uh, like a figure four uh, with, with your arms, but creating an open elbow and internally rotating the shoulder. If you do this, that shoulder is basically yours and you will have Tons of control over your opponent. Whereas if your opponent starts to now close their el- elbow and keep their elbow closer to their body or even straighten their elbow, you're going to lose a lot of control very fast. So it's important to understand, you know, maybe keeping the best Kimura control doesn't necessarily mean holding the arm as tight to your body as you can. It doesn't mean making a figure four with your arms. It means achieving internal rotation of the shoulder. As long as I can do that, I should be able to seamlessly transition to the back. I should be able to transition to arm bars and I should be able to actually get the Kimura um, the kimura itself. So understanding that these systems all have critical control points, you should be able to flow through seamlessly from system to system, whether you're in the Kimura and then you're going to switch into an arm bar series or into a triangle series or maybe you used an omoplata to sweep and now you're going to back step into a, a, a mounted triangle series or something like that understanding a lot of this is lever mechanics right like what we're really describing here is lever mechanics when we're talking about these upper body attacks but there's also going to be you know a back attack system that's going to involve different concepts than the kimura c- uh, control system there's going to be leg locks involved the leg lock system is entirely different right there's tons of different concepts and controls and you know it's it's hard to memorize everything that you're trying to do but if you know the basic concepts i know i need to rotate his shoulder that is like the fundamental principle for the kimura control and if you know that you can start to apply it all over the place get to different situations uh, all while using that concept while maintaining good control of your opponent and keeping them out of alignment absolutely and, and the other
0: benefit to systems too much like the example you brought up earlier about public speaking you can never memorize or understand every single variant of what could happen on the fly, right? So memorization is not a good approach for Mm -hmm. performance, but if you understand the concepts, then that also makes your ability to adapt on the fly much more malleable. I mean, as an example, if you are playing a particular system and your opponent attempt something that you have never seen before if you understand at a high level how the concepts work then it's probably going to be pretty easy for you to freestyle and get back on track i mean i remember recently we've got a bunch of guys at our gym who've been experimenting with a lot of really funky lapel stuff i've never seen before and it honestly, despite the fact that I am hardly an expert in this stuff, it has not proven to be a big challenge for me to deal with because I immediately, at a high level, understand how the mechanics of this are going to work and where their openings are. So I don't have to memorize where my hand goes when they go for some strange, crazy variant of Worm Guard. I just have to look for the mechanics and look for where their openings are and make sure that my base is placed properly and I'm not leaving a lever out. And given that i can kind of make up a game plan on the fly and that kind of flexibility in your thinking is super important and that's one of the main benefits of systems thinking
1: yeah and, w- and one of the main things that Danaher pushes is like you have to learn the systems thoroughly and then you have to learn how to mesh them together like where are the avenues where you can mesh these systems together um you- so i think you know there's a lot of things involved with learning a specific system like i said you have to learn the critical control points so what what actual mechanics keep me in the kimura control and then i need to learn how do i get there right like what where can i hit this from usually it starts from a wrist control right or or uh you know depending on what position you're in you just need to make sure you get that two-on-one on on the lever and then once you get there how can you use it to transition to different places you might want to go whether it's passing or the back or actually finishing the kimura right you could use this from top position you could use this from bottom position and then very importantly how do you transition other systems but also if it fails how do you make sure that you end up in uh not a bad position right so ideally you would like to end up in a position where you don't lose anything but um you could also try and use it to achieve a better position for example if i am on the bottom and i'm trying to shoot up for a leg lock and I know that my part, uh, opponent's really good at leg locks. I shoot up a leg lock and then it fails rather than just disengaging and resetting. Maybe I can use his escape to come up on top. And now I've created, uh, maybe I didn't get a leg lock out of it, but I created a positive out of it. I got a sweep out of right, it or I got right. a back take out. Of
0: Whereas it. if you had been trying to play a technique driven game, you would have had this one attack in mind. And when your opponent introduces a response that you didn't expect, or you weren't ready for you don't really know what to do from there. Whereas if you are thinking at a systems level, then because you know how the mechanics are supposed to work, you're ready to fluidly move on to something else. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. That's, that's a really, really good way of thinking about these things. I mean, I I think that, you know, it's funny you mentioned this whole thing because if you recall, you know, when we read uh, the art of learning by Josh Waitzkin, he talks about this concept that he calls uh, making smaller circles. And basically, I mean, that's kind of like a big fluffy name for a relatively simple idea. Basically what he means is when you're learning something new make sure you get the fundamentals perfect understand and master the fundamentals and then you can start expanding into all of the yeah. weird little oddities and he talks about how important it is like when you're practicing a martial art when you're learning something new you've got to get the fundamentals absolutely perfect throw away all of the peripheral details that don't matter at this point point. and once you are fully fluent in the fundamentals then the rest of the pieces just kind of fall into place on their own so that's very similar to how you would approach Um, you know, learning a new system. And frankly, that's not a jujitsu specific approach. I mean, a a personal approach when I wanted to learn investing, um, you know, which is a a terrifying thing if you've never, if you have no experience in finance, like I did at the time, I went and I looked at kind of some of the main systems that are out there, like what Warren Buffett recommends and what other people recommend. And once you understand at a high level, their specific systems and how they think, it's very easy
1: to start understanding how all of the details fit in. So my approach you're basically built building a foundation exactly You and, build, and no matter what you learn the foundation will always apply exactly
0: exactly so what i suggest there is whenever you have to learn something new and intimidating probably the first thing to do is to try to find the system understand yeah. the system underneath it the why the, yeah basically the why before you worry before you worry about like the how right because once you understand the why then everything else kind of falls into place mm-hmm. so as josh waitskin would say you make smaller circles you really make sure you understand the specifics before you go out and then you start actually putting things you know trying to fit in the little details
1: yeah like one of, one of the one of my first exposures to systems was actually in my culinary career like obviously in jujitsu um well when i first started i have mentioned on the podcast before it was i I had a technique approach because by default that's kind of how jujitsu is taught by a lot of people And and that's how we kind of approach it naturally as humans is just like okay i need to learn these moves right and only until i met rob um did i start thinking about actual systems and then danaher just basically You know, bolstered everything home with his DVD. So I'm like, okay, well, Rob is like definitely on the right track. This system based approach is kind of the. the if, to quote Danaher's instructional go further faster, yep. right? So in cooking, you know, you will always meet people, whether they're professionals or just, ca- uh, you know, casual home cooks that will try to always follow the recipe. They'll always try to learn the recipe. If they can't, if they don't have a recipe, they basically can't cook. Right? That's me, <laughs> exactly. A lot of people are like that, right? But what's more important is learning the uh, the underlying concepts of a technique of a, of a recipe. So I actually did this without even thinking about it. This was uh something that I did very early on in my culinary career as I realized that um I don't want to be writing down recipes. I don't want to like I would I would work with cooks that had you know a little black book in their pocket nowadays you just have your phone right but when i was there there was little black books in your pocket where you would you would accrue over your career your favorite recipes so mm-hmm. if you have like you know your favorite uh, custard recipe you'd be like okay i'm going to write that one down and now that's my go to custard recipe i'm so hungry right now it's like not even funny <laughs> but You know, if you do that, then you're always going to be flipping back to that book and you're always going to, you know, that's time wasted. Not only that, but there's many negatives that come with that because now you're not really thinking for yourself anymore, Mm -hmm. right? But if I can learn in terms of ratios and I can learn in terms of like, okay, well, I know how to make a basic custard, but you know, I want to make a custard that has bananas in it or i want to make a custard that's more savory if i if i know a ratio of custard egg to cream then i know that i can modify it whether it's sweet or savory i have a system in place and i can sort of modify that so that i can you know i don't have to constantly be going back to this book this is just a basic example but it could work for anything instead of learning like okay i'm gonna make this roast with that has all these ingredients in it instead i should just think about okay well i know how to i know how the roasting technique is so i can now apply those concepts to whatever roast i do or if it's knife skills i i build my strong knife skill foundation now i can basically cut anything you know i don't have to worry about like oh how am i going to cut this properly well you know if you if you have a good base and you understand your knife skills foundation you're going to be just fine
0: so two things first of all i'm like so hungry right now uh, but but second speaking of <laughs> I'll knife, put a roast on yeah, speaking of knife skills that's kind of topic or topical that we're talking about knife skills on an episode where we're speaking so much about john danaher
1: yeah who who if you don't know is a huge knife aficionado who just loves knives gives them to his students i think gary sharpens them while he's sitting on the mat like a total psychopath yeah no taza said that right yeah (laughs) Yeah. for those of you
0: who didn't hear when we interviewed oliver taza one of the things we asked him was what's the craziest thing that you've ever seen john danaher do and i didn't think he was going to have any meaningful answer it was just like a stupid question but he went on and on about how john will just sit on the mat sharpening knives like a total lunatic like not
1: even sharpen them just like like run his finger along them
0: yeah (laughs) like what if Soon I will use you. Yeah. uh, Hey, when I when I was in school, there was a guy in school who started doing that. And he wasn't in school for much longer. Like that is a total psychopath thing to do.
1: I, I saw a picture on instagram recently where gary tonin posted a picture of inside his his condo and it's basically just the shittiest furniture i've ever seen plus like tons of medals and trophies and then there's knives on the wall as decorations <laughs> like holy
0: fuck can you imagine if like the police ever had to like bust down his door because he was a suspect for something and they saw that they'd be that would be like one of those scenes in like the movie seven or something where they like bust into the house and you know right away that something is not right yeah with something's dude. not right yeah Yeah. but no it's it's interesting that you mentioned that because um you know you talked earlier about the how some people just try to throw themselves heads in and they try to Mm -hmm. just drill and drill and drill and memorize techniques without understanding the system there's you kind of in my mind you need to attack things from the top and the bottom like if you wanted to learn something really new and complicated my first advice would be step number one understand the system Um, and make sure you've really mastered the system and that's you know again what josh waits can calls um, making smaller circles but the other thing that is you do still need to actually drill like you're not going to get good at something if you just sit there and think about it and never perform so there is value in actually doing the drills Uh, but the thing is you don't want to just do the drills you also don't want to do just the system thinking you need to do them both and then figure out how they tie together
1: yeah Uh, and you also another thing about drilling is you need to also apply drills to live reactions so yeah i there's lately there's been a lot of talks uh through a lot of bjj um instructors like keenan is one of them jonathan thomas is one of them basically talking about the uh, the old way to rep something where you're just doing like a hundred leg drags on a non-resisting opponent isn't necessarily the best way to practice but more so like learn the movement and then once you have the movement down start start allowing your partner to to add some realistic reactions so that now not only are you doing the move but you're adding
0: Predictable, predictable responses,
1: responses yeah. to the to that movement and now you can see okay well once he top steps i'm gonna have to do this or you know what are the main things my partner is going to do and that's kind of the the quickest way to gain those realistic reactions when you're learning something
0: yeah when when we're drilling something my general suggestion is like we're if we're going to drill for like five minutes i would say for the first minute or so just bang off reps with zero resistance from your opponent then your opponent's going to give you like 30 percent resistance then 50 percent and then eventually get up to like 70 or 80 percent just so they can kind of experience the gradual scale and understand where the limits of their knowledge are and get some real experience against a resisting opponent Um, that's something too that and you know a big part of the reason why drilling is important is because you want to move those ideas from your conscious mind into your subconscious mind you're basically trying to drill these things into your muscle memory because that's the only way in a live role that you're going to have the reaction time you need to use them effectively i mean josh waits can also calls that form to leave form right basically what he's saying is you drill things to the point where you no longer need to consciously pull that item out of your mental database and it's a lot easier i find to do that if you are a systems thinker yes because then you kind of have a like a mental framework that everything is hung on top of and you don't have to go rummaging around in your brain to find the exact response for a given move
1: and and the great thing about that if you can get to the point where you don't even need to physically uh or sorry mentally think about something like it just happens that's going to save you time and in yeah. jiu-jitsu or in my case culinary arts like the the less you need to think and the quicker you can act the quicker you get your task done yeah the better you are the more effective you are it's the same thing on the mats right Well,
0: also it frees up your mind for higher level tasks right because if you can push something down to your subconscious so that your body can just do it by itself yeah then your brain can actually focus on higher level things plan so, steps ahead exactly mm-hmm. so that in the context of jujitsu what this means is like rather than sitting there and thinking about oh where does my arm go oh where does my leg go you can just let your body do the work and then your brain can be thinking about what kind of opportunities you want to force your opponent to create and what kind of strategy and funnels you want to employ Mm -hmm. so you're freeing up your brain for higher order work i mean probably the best example that i can think of is you know once you've been driving for a while you've probably gotten your car and then before you know it you're at like your destination and 20 minutes have passed and And you did not even (laughs) think and yeah it's like you you weren't even thinking about driving your mind was somewhere else but because you've got so much experience your body just knows how to do the work um there's actually a a term for that it's called um there's a really great book about this called it's called driving while texting Good God. Stupid joke. We're we're not recommending driving (laughs) while texting. Um, Stupid joke. But there's a there's a book called Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman. It's a really great book. And he's um he's basically a scientist who was able to do a lot of research on this. And he he came up with this concept. Um it's it's basically what Josh Waitskin calls form-to-leave form, but scientifically he calls it two systems decision-making. And what he basically says is that your brain has two ways of working: one is fast and one is slow. And once you've drilled something into your brain enough, then you can make the decision fast. Kind of the fast part of your brain can just do it without bothering your conscious mind. But the slow part is where you're like, you need to be very deliberate and you need to think things through and think critically. And that's when you kind of have to stop and pull your attention off whatever you're doing and your brain needs to really focus. So... Um, there's a lot of, uh, he talks a lot about like how you can get, um, you know, how these two different systems work in parallel and how information can move from one to the other. Um, But on the other hand, it can also be dangerous to drill too much stuff into your subconscious without thinking about it because you could wind up like making mistakes and not even realizing you're doing it if you drill in the wrong habits mm-hmm. so every once in a while it helps to kind of reevaluate consciously the things that you have been doing subconsciously like to be mindful and focus on what you've actually been doing without thinking about it because you might realize like maybe some of the habits that got you where you are maybe you need to adjust those to get to the next level
1: yeah and and to refer back to like culinary arts you know when when i was cooking you it's a anyone who's been a professional chef knows that it's a it really is a, a trade of multitasking and just like you said steve if you're if you're like let's say i'm i'm cutting potatoes or whatever at the prep table and i have Multiple things going on around the kitchen, and and you kind of have to like move around the kitchen in an efficient way so that you're tending to every task that you're doing. But if you're just solely focusing on cutting potatoes and that's your goal, your mind is focusing on not cutting your fingers. Then you're not thinking about the next step, right? Whereas if I can have my knife skills at such a level where the cutting just happens naturally and I don't need to think, my mind will be thinking, okay, well I got something on the pot over there, I got a stock working over there, I got something in the oven here, and then your mind is f- freed up. just like you had mentioned so jiu-jitsu is kind of the same way i know that if i have a kimura control and i just maintain that open elbow i i can be more aware of the next step i can be more aware am i going to transition to the back or am i going to go to a triangle or an arm bar what am i going to do it doesn't matter as long as i maintain the critical control point which is a a broken structure of the the shoulder right um you know just to talk about like some other systems like if we're going to talk a lot of them are lever based right like a Mm -hmm. an arm bar or leg locks are lever based controls Mm -hmm. but if i was going to take the the arm bar or jujigatami as it's referred to um you know that i think the main controls for an arm bar would be the wedges around the partner's head and shoulders yeah common
0: mistake is people think the main control with the armbar is the arm that is actually the least important thing it is you need a wedge on the near side and you also need a wedge on the far side those are those that's really the things that makes the armbar work the actual grabbing of the arm is secondary
1: yeah and and you know you can you can totally marry the kimura and the armbar together for example it's very common to have a kimura and switch into an armbar the important thing to do that to do while you're uh, making that transition is to not switch to the arm bar so fast that you lose the rotation of the shoulder. Right, because then right. you sacrifice the critical control point that allows you to maintain the uh, the position right so mm-hmm. if i'm in the kimura or if i have a kimura then i swing into the arm bar and i just try and extend the arm right away before i you know put my wedges in nice and tight or if i just let go of the the rotation of the shoulder my partner's usually going to explode out because i've given them uh the resources they need to defend right yeah, the, yeah. The, refer to the i think we did an episode alignment versus position right we've talked about it quite a bit i don't think we did a dedicated episode although we probably should we probably should i, yeah. I, th- I thought we did but <laughs> but i don't know anyways it is it is a concept uh, under Rob Bernacki and it is on our database so definitely check out alignment over position as well. Yeah. But essentially, if I'm going to switch from a, a Kimura to a Juji, I don't want to let go of the shoulder rotation. In fact, it, uh, usually one of the common problems that you'll have once you get into the armbar is your opponent will naturally try and hide the end of the lever by clasping their hands together, creating a kinetic chain. Right, so. Some people are really strong when they have this control and it's very difficult to break their grip so that you can actually finish the armbar. So one of the best ways I think to finish the grip is actually maintain the Kimura control and then just keep rotating the shoulder, uh, keep rotating the elbow open and you'll find that quite often if you can get a high degree of shoulder rotation the grip will break naturally because they're so out of alignment yeah
0: this is actually something i i do a lot when i'm trying to break the armbar grip um like when i when someone is clasping their hands together and they're trying to block the armbar rather than trying to just you know pull and pull and pull on that arm i'll generally do one of two things i'll kind of switch to more of like a mounted arm bar and get up on top of them or if i really want to finish it right there i'll switch to uh, chimera control and start basically rotating their arm rather than pulling straight back and yeah. that's a super effective way to <clears throat> to break that grip but i really like the point you had about how when you switch from one system to another it's super important not to have a moment where you have no control points like yeah. when you're going when you're playing the kimura game rotational control is the name of the game and when you're playing the armbar game dual wedges is the name of the game and when you switch from one to the other you don't want to have even a split second where you have neither rotational control nor dual wedges yeah when you're when you're going to switch that up like when you're going to stop trying to rotate the person's arm and focus on a traditional armbar, you need to make sure you've got the wedges in place first um this is something actually that your instructor i've heard talk about although not so much in this context but the idea is the same and he talks about placeholders right and the idea is you you're always going to be like switching and manipulating your grips and your control points but you never want you know whenever you're switching your control point whether it be a grip or an idea like we've described here you never want a system where you let something go and then you grab the new one you want to you want to grab the new one and then let the old one go you never want to have an opening where there's nothing controlling your opponent yeah Uh, this is very important for example if you're like climbing up um your grips for example you're like trying to pull the lapel you never want to have a situation where you've let something go and there is a moment where nothing is controlling your opponent
1: yeah it just, just like, uh, you know, if we transition out of the lower half, if you're working for leg locks, you need to know, okay, well, obviously you need to know your entries and and the different leg lock positions, but the most common thing, at least in the uh, Danaher system is the double trouble concept, right? Yeah. Yeah. So and the same thing with the arm bar, like having wedges on the far side, basically the same thing as double trouble, mm-hmm. um, understanding that having both legs will, greatly limit your opponent's ability to spin and also get into base is one of the most important things for controlling leg lock positions depending on where you are right so just going for a leg lock sometimes isn't enough you know that's sort of a a catchy approach can it be effective yes but the actual control part most of the time you're looking to collect both legs and then from there separate and get your you know your heel hook or whatever you're going to do so it depends you know and and you can even you can mesh upper attack upper body attacks with lower body attacks as well in certain situations and that is a very viable uh that's a very realistic remedy for that but just knowing that um <clears throat> you know that's going to be a bit of a jump let's say you have an omoplata and then you're going to switch off to a leg lock it is a bit of a jump but it can definitely happen yeah.
0: but the trick is again as you mentioned when you're going to have different control philosophies for each one of those systems i mean the, the omoplata system is one of my favorite systems for attacking and you just need to make sure if you're switching from one to the other that again there's never that moment where nothing is binding your opponent um, that's a, a super critical mistake that people make is they try to just kind of fling them themselves into the new position. But if against a good opponent, if there's even a split second where there is nothing controlling them, they're going to they're they're going to realign themselves right away. Mm -hmm.
1: yeah. Yeah. And at the higher levels, that's really becomes more and more difficult to find, or those moments where you can misalign your opponent, right? So that so if I have a Kimura on someone who's super high level, I'm going to be very careful about my transition and I'm going to make sure that I try and keep that rotation as much as possible, because that's basically my, that's my, that's my lifeline in terms of keeping the control, right? If I lose the Kimura control, they're going to immediately escape. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, one of the, one of the other things like, like back control, if we're going to talk about back control systems is the way that Rob classifies it is uh direct control versus indirect control. So direct control would be Clasping your hands around their torso, physically trying to grab their body like a seatbelt. And then uh, an indirect control would be by way of a lever. So a double motorcycle control, uh, a Kimura control, some you know. sort of lapel thing, presumably. Uh, you could you could use lapels as well. That would definitely help as well. I uh, do that sometimes
0: now. Is I'll do like the 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 basically the double backpack
1: control where yeah, I'll grab both very lapels. Very annoying. And, yeah, yeah <laughs> it's, just, it's just
0: a nuisance. But I mean, against a guy who really doesn't want to be in back mount, it'll kind of slow them down for a while.
1: Yeah, and I and I've been meaning to talk, uh, meaning to do like a back control series. But basically, like the underlying concepts that I think about when I'm on the back, whether I'm trying to maintain the back control or I'm trying to escape the back control, like I know in my mind, I i i need to have uh like three main things to be successful whether i'm escaping or maintaining number one i need to have some kind of control of the upper body so whether it's going to be a seat belt a kimura something on my opponent's upper body number two is going to be my hooks so whether i have hooks or my ankles crossed or a body triangle or a, you know hooks off to the side i need to have my legs engaged some way so i have control of my opponent's hips and then the third thing is real Quite often overlooked with beginners, and that's head position. So I know that if I have those three things, I'm pretty successful. And I know that if I lose one or two of those, I know what my next goal will be and that's to regain those forms of control and if i can usually i'm going to either stay on the back or i'm going to be in a position to submit
0: yeah awesome makes a lot of sense it's funny i remember reading at one point uh henzo the way that he suggested you you do this is that you want it to be like you're trying to whisper into your opponent's ear <laughs> which of course is like the creepiest way to describe it but it's true like you need to a very common mistake is that people leave too much headspace when they're attacking the yeah. back and that basically means your that your chest to back connection is not super strong it also Mm -hmm. makes it easier for your opponent to get his or her head to the floor yes and if that can happen then it's very easy to get your shoulders to the floor and if that can happen then you don't have chest to back control and then you don't have back mount at all
1: yeah one of the best ways whether you're either taking the back or you're trying to maintain the back is always have your head Uh, behind your partner's head and usually chin like you mentioned chin really close to their neck even digging into their neck wrapped around their neck and uh, your head slash shoulder should be a wedge behind your partner's head so using your head position to break posture is one of the most uh, fundamental things i can show someone to maintain the back to get the back um and to be successful from the back so those three things upper body lower body head position and then of course thinking about direct uh rotational control so i know that if i have a seat belt uh or sorry a motorcycle on one side that's going to stop my opponent from turning in a specific direction right so
0: got it got it cool so we've talked a lot about how there are very specific situational systems that you can apply uh and this kind of actually raises a question for me like, is it is it correct then that understanding a system is kind of like hand in hand with creating your choice of funnels as a strategy? You know, a lot of the time, for example, if you are really focusing on the Kimura trap as a system, then probably this is going to lead to you wanting to create a whole series of funnels that get you into the Kimura trap or for that sure. use the Kimura trap to set up an advanced position or submit. For so sure. the, one of the benefits to setting up uh, or to really understanding systems is that it will give you guidance in terms of what kind of funnels could be really effective for you i mean as as an example for myself um I, everyone who rolls with me knows that i'm kind of notorious for just like pulling ezekiel chokes out of basically anywhere um but the reason i like that is because i i kind of have a series of systems around that choke that allow me to do it in a, a generally a low risk way and i can use that even from positions where i probably don't really have a, a chance of submitting but i can use it to create openings that yeah. can then, uh, much like people can use the kimura trap to yes. you know even if they're not going to submit they can use it to advance the position if you understand the system enough then eventually you'll realize oh there's actually some funnels i can create here to get the game where i want it to go or if the wheels fall off and i'm no longer in the position i want to be i can use this system to funnel me back on track to my a game
1: definitely like i think a prime example especially when we're talking about kimuras is wagner hosha who's one of the biggest uh kimura trap users in the game uh, this guy pretty much allows people to shoot in on his legs, and as re- and then he just goes right for the kimura on the far arm, and he's super successful. My instructor does that too. Yeah, super successful at taking the back. It's one of the best. It's one of the best uh, like ways to deal with say a single leg if you can get control of that arm, because now if you have that rotational control, your your opponent's basically trapped, and you have back exposure a lot of the time. So he uses that over and over again, and then from there he transitions to his back system. You could go to arm bars from there. You could come up on top there's so like and and then the more that you train, the more you realize that uh you know when you're describing moves flowing from one move to another and and being able to like see how things are related you're essentially just describing systems exactly and then and then like to your point knowing how to get in many different ways like for kimura for me one of the biggest ways is i'm going to try and get wrist control because i know if i can get wrist control then it's pretty easy if like let's say i'm doing a rolling kimura from the top once i get wrist control i know once i roll i'll be able to get my arm in underneath right Right. and then lock my hands into the figure four um very important to realize uh, also i'll just make mention like if you're doing kimura control understanding the ratchet effect which is that a bent lever will always generate more leverage into the joint than a straight lever Mm -hmm. so for example if i have a kimura control my partner straightens their arm out uh, I have way less rotational control. Whereas if I can keep their arm bent at a perpendicular angle, uh, the, the, the ratchet effect allows me to generate a lot more uh, vulnerability in the shoulder joint. And essentially I'll just be, I'll have more control in general. So, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah if, this, if and then in, sorry, Steve, in heel hooks, it's the same thing. Like for most heel hooks, you want to have a, the leg bent because then you can generate more leverage into the knee or what have you. Definitely, definitely.
0: So, one other thing, too, to probably point out is that you don't need Someone else to tell you what all of the systems are. I mean, as you train, you will probably find, you know, in addition to learning about other existing systems, you'll probably start to put your own together. And that's actually a really good thing, right? And that is not something you need to wait for in order to do. I mean, even at White Belt, I was kind of starting to try to figure out systems that work well for me. And in fact, I would encourage people to start that process early, to start deliberately thinking about how to organize their strategy into a series of systems it is definitely going to help you if you go out there and research the ones that already exist. That's Mm -hmm. going to give you a major head start, but don't feel like you're not able to create your own. I mean, don't feel like, oh, I'm a white belt. Who am I to create a system? Look, organizing your thoughts at is always a good idea at any level of experience. So, I mean, I remember too, when I, when I was kind of starting out, a lot of people crapped on the kind of systems I was putting together because they, you know, I'm a white belt and what do I know? But honestly, uh, over the years, I was able to refine them and make them work for me. So it's really a good strategy to think in terms of systems and try to organize your ideas together and don't let anyone tell you that you know that your ideas are you can't do it because you're not experienced enough like this is part of the learning process is organizing your thoughts it's not like one day you're going to magically get a black belt and then suddenly you're going to understand how everything works in order to get there you need to begin the process of organizing the ideas in your head into systems and it's better to do that from day one rather than just kind of like blindly progressing and then not really thinking consciously about your training until you've been in it for like 10 years Years. yeah so my suggestion is actually the sooner you can start thinking about and defining your own systems, the better off you're going to be,
1: yeah, and I think another way to to just rephrase it in a different at a different angle is to think about like uh you know we've mentioned before think about the kimura not as a submission but as a control yeah think about the arm bar not as a submission but as a control same with the back it's a control scheme if you're thinking about having the most successful leg locks you want to put control before finishing right and then how do you do that well you have to understand the uh the mechanisms and the concepts used to generate this control, right? So Definitely. if you can if you can do this, you're going to be way more successful. Like, what's what's better to to uh to get the Kimura and then there's a like a 30% chance you finish the Kimura and a 70% chance your partner escapes, or a 95% chance that your partner can't escape the Kimura control. Exactly. Right. Like, exactly. what's what's more effective really to have if you have that level of control and your partner has is basically cornered and can't escape, then your success rate is going to be much higher because you're going to start to find different ways to you know whether you're going to finish the Kimura or you're going to transition to something else you're going to have that control always behind you so you understand that foundation and the control will always be there definitely definitely
0: i mean one thing that i suggest everyone think of is don't think of submissions as like the end game think of submissions yeah. as individual systems And the reason why is because no submission is guaranteed, especially against a quality opponent. Like you're lucky if your submission works 50% of the time against someone who's really good at defending it. So you have to have an end, you know, you have to have more, an end game that goes beyond just getting that submission. Because if it doesn't work, you've got to know what to do then. You've got to know how to transition to something that is equally or more effective. If your hope is, well, I know this Kimura submission and you try and do it and it doesn't work then you've got yourself an issue because you have nowhere to go from there. But if in your head you have a whole system of what to do and the various options that you've got if the Kimura doesn't work, then you can tighten the noose even far further on your opponent. And again that kind of systems thinking i think it starts to make a big difference once you face really good guys who cannot be easily submitted like if you're fighting a good black belt like you might have a fully locked in like guillotine on them and they'll figure out a way to get out (laughs) it's very very hard to submit a an experienced opponent so you've got to make sure that for every attack that you're doing that you have more options than just get the tap there has to be a whole game plan tied around that and that's what a system is
1: yeah that's a really good point and also like uh a common thing that i see a lot of beginners do and it's tempting as hell and i used to do it when i was white and blue belt when i would get into the spider web position or the arm bar position is i would you know you have your arm bar you have your wedges tight but your partner's arms are so locked together that and you're really trying to find a way to separate their hands and then you some i would argue that it's a mistake although some people teach it and that's that you take your foot and stomp the arm or you yeah, know what i'm talking about yeah, I, like I know you exactly. stomp the far arm like i think everyone's seen
0: this is the guy is clasping and you let one leg go and you try and stomp, stomp. the far arm to break yeah. the grip
1: which yeah. seems which seems logical because you're creating uh like a leg press movement which but and, you're and, letting your wedges go to do that. Exactly. So you're you're giving up the critical control point, which is your wedges. You need your legs to do the controlling part and your arms need to do the gripping and breaking part, right? Yeah. So it's like...
0: I mean, I'm not saying that'll never work. I, oh, I've work. done it and I've had it work, but you have to be yeah. aware that you're giving up the main thing that's holding the person where they are. There, there are yeah. ways you can adapt and it also depends a lot on your opponent's body type and what yeah. they're doing. But generally speaking, if you start if you lift your leg up and you try to stomp and push their far arm away then the issue you're going to have is like what's holding the guy there now yeah
1: same with that bicep slicer from there like sometimes it can work but you're also letting go of wedges of your partner so it's like you're kind of risking if if this is eye-opening for me when i started practicing at brown belt for ebi tournaments you know when you get to overtime rounds sometimes you end up in the spider web um and any time that I would try and do this on someone, any anyone good from defending the armbar, they would get out, and that's because I'm like, well, I'm I'm sacrificing a critical control point to try and finish this move. When especially in EBI, like one of the best strategies you can do is get a long riding time. So it kind of goes against the strategy as well. Not only am I not going to get a long riding time, but my par- I'm probably not going to get the submission as well if my partner's really good. Yeah, I can definitely see the the argument there. I mean, my my
0: preference now, because I used to never get arm bars, like right up until Brown Bell. I- sucked at arm bars and it's because i didn't really have a system like i would try and get the arm bar and my opponent would clasp their hands together and i would come up with a few different clever ways to try to finish the arm bar but i didn't really understand how important it is to wedge on the far side and i didn't have many more options other than try to unclasp their arm like right now if i am trying to arm bar somebody and they're just not giving me the right energy, and they're clasping their hands. Rather than trying to force it, I try to go up to S-mount and do like a double a double armbar or a manatee armbar and just make the person's life miserable. So rather than trying to insist on the submission, I just tighten the noose a little more, and then from that position, my odds of finishing become much higher. What do you think the odds are that people listening know what a manatee armbar is? I think we described this in a previous episode, but uh, so the manatee armbar, just for those who don't know, uh, this is kind of a term that... My instructor picked up from some dude in Florida that he trained on. And this is basically the arm bar where you lay like- down? no not necessarily belly down it's the one where you finish while you're still sitting on top of the person like you're probably you're probably an s mount or something and you armbar the person and the the reason he calls it the manatee armbar is because it feels like a manatee is sitting on you now how anyone knows what it feels like when a manatee (laughs) is sitting on you i don't understand uh first of all manatees are very rare it's not like everyone has a pet manatee second they're waterborne so while they're in the water they wouldn't be very heavy yeah they wouldn't be very heavy um but then again i'm guessing that the person who coined this term was probably Probably not a marine biologist, so they may not have known that. <laughs> Basically, though, this is the move where you just like lay your ass down on the guy and you sit on him. So you're trying to like armbar him without falling backwards. That's what, we, what I call the manatee armbar.
1: Yeah, very good. There you go. Why don't you call it the uh Snorlax armbar? Snorlax? When because I sleeping. want to actually get it. It's very hard to move. I don't, move. I don't and, know if yeah. you've seen that episode.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I guess you could also call it the Snorlax armbar. That might be more timely. I don't know anyway anything else you wanted to add matt before we wrap nope so as a result systema is the best martial art and the best system <laughs> yeah. that's literally what systema means did you know that oh my god i didn't even realize that actually i have no idea if that's true systema might mean <clears throat> something totally else but i would presume it means system is the taint sweep system in there taint is that how you say taint? how do you say taint in russian Someone write in and tell us.
1: I don't know, but there was that cool video of that Russian guy getting taint sweet by a bear that I sent you. We need to post that on social. matt did send me a
0: video of some dude wrestling a bear and the bear attempted a taint sweep and
1: almost pulled it off the bear actually pulls guard and literally goes for a taint sweep but it's not even an advantage he didn't pull it off (laughs) the guy's base was too good the guy is actually bigger than the bear pretty (laughs) amazing
0: funny funny how when these guys brag about bear wrestling they've like found a bear that's actually smaller than them it's probably like a cub and they're beating up this child bear yeah yeah anyway so to recap the mental models we talked about today we talked about making smaller circles this is basically a Josh Waitzkin mental model from the book The Art of Learning. What he's proposing here is when you want to learn something big and complicated, make sure you master the fundamental movements and ideas before you move on to the specific complex details. We talked about predictable responses. A lot of building or understanding a system is understanding the predictable responses that can come up when you attempt to take action within that system. We talked about form to leave form. This basically means, again, this is a Josh Waitzkin model, but it basically means drilling something until you can do it from muscle memory and that frees up your conscious mind to work on higher level problems like strategies we talked about alignment over position meaning that it it is so critical at all times to prioritize maintaining your alignment while breaking your opponents the actual textbook position that you're in is less important than making sure that you're prioritizing alignment we talked about double trouble This comes up a lot in systems uh, such as armbar systems, where in order to prevent your opponent from rotating out, you need to wedge both the near side and the far side so that both of your opponent's shoulders are immobilized. Um, John Danaher, when he talks about double trouble, he's talking about it primarily in the context of leg lock systems. Basically, whenever you're attacking an arm or a leg, it's probably a good idea to consider wedging both of the shoulders or both of the hips depending on what you're attacking and we talked about funneling so a a big benefit to systems thinking is it helps you identify funnels uh strategies to get the game back on track when it's going away that you don't want it to go and also to get you to an area of the game that you understand and where you're strong so i think that covers it matt you want a question yeah okay this is this is i think actually an interesting question because it is topical and it's tied to this episode so our listener says been listening since the first episode great stuff one stripe white belt we roll or and spar four to 5.25 minutes with 30 second breaks between then repeat 5.25 minutes that's very specific interesting 5.25 5.25 i don't even think our round okay. timer allows you to set that uh okay so how do we go about uh, or how do we go about looking at each or even one spar what i did good what i need to improve on four minute sessions, and then go again. After 30 to 45 minutes of this, I have a hard time recalling each session or even one specific session. How do I improve on post sparring reflection? Okay. I I understand this. So basically what's happening here is, you know, you've probably banged off like five rounds back to back and it's a blur. It all blurs together. It all blurs together. So the question becomes, how do I consciously retain that knowledge? And how do I learn
1: and take correction based on what happened in those roles? Well, there's a few ways you could do it. Uh, you can ask your partner for immediate feedback. You could ask your instructor to coach you during the role. You could record the role if your teammates are okay with that. Um, one thing that I think... I always ask myself during roles. I don't even ask myself. It's just naturally now ingrained in my mind is, you know, did I get my guard passed? Did I get swept? Did I get any points scored against me? Did obviously, did I get submitted? But I actually don't even care too much about that. It's more just like, uh, was my opponent able to dominate the position? Was my opponent able to break my alignment? So, you know, it, it, you should set goals for yourself every role i don't think the goal necessarily needs to be did i outpoint my partner did i submit my partner you know your goal could be as simple as i want to play half guard and not get passed yeah yeah. or i want to use the half guard to sweep you know that could be a good enough goal in a role um basically at the end of each role you know try and pick out one thing you did good and one thing you did bad and i know that when you got rounds going and and uh you know before you know it, class is over and all the roles kind of mesh into one if you can only remember one good thing you did and one bad thing you did i think that's fine as well but just having immediate feedback from let's say your instructor whether your instructor can take time out to coach you one round uh, and give you immediate feedback or you can ask your your sparring partner you know hey what's one thing i could have done better um that those are all options i think
0: yeah yeah i would say from my advice um when it comes to goal planning it's, it's important to consider what you do before, during, and after. I mean having a post-mortem and reflecting afterwards is important but it's going to be a lot easier for you to remember what to reflect on if you went in with a goal in the first place so I generally recommend even for every individual training session like we're not even talking about you know like one year goals or lifelong goals but I'm talking at this point about just micro goals for what I want today my suggestion is go into every class with one or two specific things you want to do or work on uh, and the more specific the better like just like I want to beat my opponent is probably not that useful you, yeah you want to identify something specifically that you want to improve on work on that and then measure yourself against that afterwards like for example we're as of this recording i'm going to class in about two hours and my goals today i wrote these down were focus on aggressively entering in-step guard and the reason why i want to do that is because a lot of the time i don't i'm too passive and i get killed like i yeah. i wait for the, lose person, the engagement phase I, I lose the engagement phase whereas i should be trying to get into there and the other thing is focus on delahiva to in-step guard transitions so this is something that i want to work on is pulling dehiva guard and then transitioning from there to in step card. This is something just specifically that I think would be very helpful for me. So I've i have two very specific things that i can i know to focus on today during class and i have two things to measure afterwards that's a lot easier than just showing up and like just kind of letting things play out the way they play out and because at the end of the day you're not going to really you don't have a compass to measure yourself against it's going to be easier if you go in with a plan
1: yeah and if you already have a pre-existing jiu-jitsu game and you want to add say like a new guard like let's say i want to work on my worm guard you know it's, it's like I, I i want to uh add something non-conventional even though it is becoming more conventional nowadays and something that I'm not as familiar with, maybe my goal for the class will be, okay, I want to be able to get the lapel out and I want to be able to get to my intermediary lapel guard. So that's not even the worm guard. That's just, you know- It's a
0: micro step, but it's the more micro, the better.
1: Yeah, it's basically, I have a two-on-one on his lapel and I'm in a position where my feet are frames and I don't want my opponent to pass me. If my opponent passes me while I have that phase, then I try and think, okay, that's something that went wrong. That's something that I need to go back now and fix rather than even making my goal like okay i need to sweep someone from worm guard you're kind of like well what about the phases leading up to that because yeah, you can't yeah, yeah. sweep some from someone from worm guard if you a can't strip the lapel out and b can't successfully maintain guard while in the intermediate intermediary lapel guard phase so like set your goal small and then the more it, this is also an example of incremental learning right the more mm. that you layer in your experience and become more familiar next time you'll be a little bit more familiar with controlling the intermediary intermediary phase and then maybe you'll be able to get to the worm right
0: yep. and even oliver taza said this so this is not just us two idiots saying this this is just general good learning practice um like big progress is made in very very small steady chunks so yeah. it's good to have a, a small specific goal every day uh, i also find that it's helpful to set goals that force me out of my comfort zone like if my goal is i want to in my case for example i play a lot of single leg x guard if my goal is sweep someone from single leg x guard that's not really a helpful goal unless i'm just trying to tune my aim my a game if i want to really learn then i want to identify an area that i wish i were good at that i'm not and then pick out a specific goal like in this case for example how do i get to instep guard safely that's kind of the goal of the day for me so the more specific the better and it can be beneficial to take yourself out of your comfort zone um, additionally as we've talked about in prior episodes if you're the senior guy in the role it's always good to give a realistic and timely feedback to your opponent so that's really one of the big courtesies that you can do for them is help them reflect because they might not know what they did wrong so if for example i am sparring with someone and i i can tell that they're like they're tensing up they're really really tense um that's something that i would advise them on right i I would advise them to stay loose because there's a variety of reasons why tensing up is bad we've talked about this significantly in in prior episodes so if you're the more senior guy in the role then i would suggest that you take those opportunities to give feedback to the more junior guy so that they can learn and again the more timely the feedback, the easier it's going to be for them to retain it.
1: Yeah. And always ask for feedback, especially with your instructor, try and have a relationship with your instructor where they can give you that feedback. And that might not be easy for an instructor because they might have a whole classroom of people that they need to, they need to keep chabs on, but just let them know, hey, it would really help if you could just like coach me through one role. Or if, we, if you happen to roll with your instructor, say, okay, like I'd like some immediate feedback right Definitely. on the spot.
0: Yeah, I, I normally uh, suggest to people, if they want that, then tell the person right before the role and say, hey, if, if I'm doing something wrong, can you just like stop me and correct me? Because f- for some people, they find that approach much more helpful. Yeah. Um, another thing too is when it comes to feedback, uh, you want to make sure that you don't get defensive about it because a lot of, a lot of the time even if you specifically ask for feedback your natural reaction when you're told that you did something wrong is to try to defend yourself so if your instructor says oh you should put your foot here instead of there then what you don't want to say is oh well the reason i did this was that, that, that. like yeah like that. or i do it this way because it works for me yes yeah, like that's that's lovely <laughs> but you ask for feedback so just yeah. shut up and listen right that doesn't mean that All feedback is valid. I mean, you have to at some point make a decision as to whether the feedback applies to you. But at the end of the day, if you want feedback, don't create a situation where people are afraid to give it to you because they think you're going to argue it.
1: Yeah very cool.
0: good very good awesome so that's another one in the books uh again we really appreciate all of your support if you want to support us financially and you should you should feel very guilty if you're not you can go to bjjmentalmodels.com store we've got some awesome shirts and gi patches there that you can pick up the patches are free shipping doesn't matter where you are in the world we'll ship them to you for free so please do put them on your gi and promote our show if you want to get more information you can go to bjjmentalmodels.com join and sign up for our mailing list we send out more detailed information than we provide on the podcast so that's a great source of um supplementary details if you want more we also have our database of all of these key mental models at bjjmentalmodels.com and of course if you want to reach out to us or just see what we're up to you can find us on social we're active on facebook and instagram so look us up there thanks again matt any closing thoughts no i really appreciate the support
1: guys please keep the uh, questions coming and have fun on the mats